0: CDN FM Ann Arbor, keeping Richard Nixon's vision of peace and global unity alive with sounds and music from all the cultures of all the people all over the world.
1: Uh, like you think, the, one, the ones that, what do you call it music in the restaurants or the elevators—that music is destructive. That music. If we had good music playing for people in mean, happens happy society on the streets, you know. I feel like uh, Mommies have a new record coming out, or I feel like, well, maybe this time they'll hear it.
2: And you've Got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel in WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Today in the su- studio, Allison Bechtel is here. Allison, welcome. Thank you. It's right, so good to see you. We've got Stephanie behind the glass. Joining us as a studio audience today, we have Amanda from the Institute of Humanities and Lucy, Allison's uh, personal assistant. <laughs> and, um, and Tex is probably lurking around um, out there, saving the day as he usually does. Um, Allison, you've flown into town. Just like so luckily that the flights made it through on this I know, snowy if day, I had been like
3: one minute late i wouldn't be here <laughs> everything went like clockwork
2: well this is well, this is great it's, thanks for fitting in the radio um absolutely while you're here, and tomorrow you you came to town to actually um you came to town to to talk at the give a lecture at the penny stamp series speaker series um and the title of your talk, if I'm getting this right, is "Drawing Lessons: The Comics of Everyday Life."
3: That sounds good. It's, <laughs> you I sort of just m- make those titles up randomly when people demand a title.
2: Oh, okay, because it's very it's catchy. I thought it was I thought it was deep, Allison.
3: It doesn't. I don't ever really get to teaching lessons,
2: but I hope that no one will notice that. Okay. <laughs> well, I think they can just be like the magic can be the lesson, maybe okay. like getting yeah. yeah, and then just let it, just absorb it, yeah, right. And um, and this is tomorrow at Michigan Theater, Thursday. 5 p.m. and it's yes. free for one and all to come for along and come on down come on down <laughs> and um and then also you've got an exhibit currently at the, on the ground floor in the gallery at the institute of the humanities
3: yes amanda put up a really cool little show did you um, get a
2: chance to see i it did yet? that's awesome. so why we
3: were a slight bit late is because did we stopped giving it. me a heart attack <laughs> i'm so sorry <laughs>
2: um
3: we just stopped in there a second and it's very cool Uh, It has a lot of archival materials in it that she found little clever antique cases for. Because so much of my work is about, I don't know, archives and documentary evidence. So I have like old childhood diaries and stuff like that. And you
2: even, so did you lend it to the Amanda and the Institute? Or is it something that, does Michigan have boxes of some of your material? No, no. It's just, I just lent this one, one volume. So you kind of, you picked some things out. That you were willing to,
3: yeah, I feel nervous about it. But how so? Well, I don't know. I don't. Want... Who wants to lose their first diary?
2: Isn't it under glass though? Yes. Okay, <laughs>
3: just to clarify. Yes.
2: <laughs> People won't. You won't be seeing like someone's I, lunch I, thumbprints I, in it. Or... I Doubt that anyone's gonna like smash the case to get at my diary. But <clears throat> <clears throat> but it is just so everyone out there knows it is alarmed. No, just kidding. Well, maybe it is. Who knows? I'm not at the the Institute of Humanities. They're tough customers over there, right? I think they are. They were in yep. a tight ship. <laughs> but anyway, that exhibit is up and running now. And I think people can go in Monday through Friday, sort of nine to five-ish or so. The galleries open and see. And what else will they see? Like, your, like one of your first diaries?
3: Yeah. And then there's original artwork. Like you can see sort of what the cartoon drawings look like. In their raw state before they're Do you printed,
2: build them large scale because some of from some of the process videos that are available online. it's oh. interesting! <laughs>
3: no, those that video is of. There's also some huge, giant drawings yes. in the exhibit which I, are like four by eight feet, which I was doing as an experiment at one point. Um, but no, I don't typically draw that large. In fact, I was I was doing those large drawings because normally I draw very very small, not not much larger than you see in the in the books. So it was a way to sort of stretch my drawing uh, muscles a little bit and draw a little bigger.
2: And and you know what? I just realized we've just hopped right into the conversation here. And um, you know what? I I'm just gonna read a sh- the like a shortened version oh, of your oh bio yeah. that's available on your website. Nobody has oh. any idea who you're talking with. <laughs> I think everyone does. People are so excited that that you're coming to town. It's like you're Santa for January <laughs> or something. <laughs> I don't know. And the books on the table, I should say a, thanks, a big thanks to Megan for getting the books to me from um, Houghton, Mifflin, and Harcourt. Am I saying your publisher's name uh, right? Houghton. I, I Houghton. say Houghton. Houghton. People say it
3: all different ways, though
2: in Mifflin and Harcourt yeah. and Megan thanks a lot for sending these books we've got the essential dykes to watch out for um, the collection uh, published in 2008 and then we've got um, your two graphic novels Fun Home a family tragic comic and Are You My Mother a comic drama um, on the table before us and also um, several different uh, copies of earlier editions of Dikes to Watch out for, thanks to Ray McDaniel and Gina Brandolino um so without further ado, here's the bio that can be found on allison's website. Alison Bechtel's comic strip. Dykes to Watch Out For has become a countercultural institution among lesbians and discerning non-lesbians all over the planet. Is that your line, Allison? (laughs) I'd like that. Discerning? Yes, it is. I must confess. (laughs) And her more recent darkly humorous graphic memoirs about her family have forged an unlikely intimacy with an even wider range of readers. Bechtel self-syndicated Dykes to Watch Out For for 25 years, from 1983 to 2008. In 2006, she published Fun Home, a family tragic comic. Time magazine named it the best book of 2006. Um, It has been adapted into a musical by the playwright Lisa Kron and the composer Janine Tesori. And it's actually it's off Broadway, but now it's on Broadway, too, isn't it, It, Alison? It will open on Broadway in April. Yeah. That's that's kind of spectacular. I,
3: I know that's it's insanely spectacular.
2: <laughs> and we'll get to this, but you were saying that like these characters and Dykes to watch out for—they're your many selves. Like it's you. Like it's you are in these characters, but it's like you. It's, so there's all these aspects.
3: Well, yeah, it's like I was sort of writing a crypto autobiography for many years.
2: Uh, crypto.
3: Secret. Yeah. Like hidden. Like it's it doesn't it's not technically autobiographical but in a way Dykes to Watch Out for is as autobiographical as my later like explicitly autobiographical bu- books
2: we'll get, okay. We're going to come back to that. We're going to come back to that. Okay. Um, we don't in, have to, no, we. well, as, as you pointed out, we do have an hour <laughs> so get, in her work. Bechtel is preoccupied with the overlap of the political and the personal spheres, the relationship of the self to the world outside her 2012 memoir. Are you my mother? A comic drama de- delved into not just her relationship with her own mother, but the theories of the 20th century British psychoanalyst, Donald Winnicott. Um, I also love that Virginia Woolf's a character in, in that, too. And she's got the epigram um, yeah. as well. Alison's comics have appeared in The New Yorker, Slate, McSweeney's, The New York Times Book Review, and Granta. She received a 2012 Guggenheim Fellowship and is a 2014 MacArthur Grant recipient. Do you still live in Vermont, Allison? Yes, I do. Oh, That's such a great place to live. I know. The, and is the Marsh Professor-at-Large at the University of Vermont. I'm at large. Yeah, that sounds slightly menacing. I have I to tell you. <laughs> what does that mean? Does that I mean don't you know can yet. roam around? No or? one has
3: told me. I th- think it means I get to roam around and don't have to actually teach a class.
2: <laughs> oh, really? You co-taught a class in Chicago I right, did. with Hillary Shoot. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh a while—not too long ago, but
3: yeah, a couple years ago, I made my first foray into academia and and taught a class on autobiographical comics with the great Hillary Chute.
2: Chute. And was it, um, what was it like tra- talking about your work in that way? Cause you'd been on many book tours. You've got a great website and with like a functioning blog where it feels like you talk, you're able to articulate stuff about your work. What's it like in the classroom? What's, what's different about it?
3: You know, I, it was hard. It was it was hard to do. It was it was a difficult class because it was not just the practice of comics, which might have been easier for me. But it, we were talking about the theory of autobiography and what it means to make these visual stories about actual life stories. Uh, and there were, so there was a lot of heavy like academic material that we had to read. And I felt like one of the students, like I was just oh man, try, you know, underlining and trying to understand this stuff, and it was very wonderful and mind expanding but it was it was sort of like taking a grad seminar
2: I mean I was taking it along with the students and then and then talking a a hell of a lot then as well (laughs) as you were one of the teachers
3: well you know I we it was a very talky class and the students were I guess students are different than they used to be in my day students didn't talk so much now they seem to really talk a lot
2: I th- and I think they're so, they're they're encouraged to. Yes, I right? think that's <laughs> the point. In fact, <laughs> maybe it's a different way of teaching. Right?
3: <laughs> but all that is just to say, I was relieved. I actually didn't have to talk that much in the class because the students did it. I don't like to talk. I, I I really would much rather be quiet. And I I don't know what I'm going to say to you for the rest of this interview. I'm feeling unusually blank of mind these days. But
2: no, it's well. Or do you think it was? Uh, increased by flight cuz sometimes i feel like if you're on a plane something happens like maybe or a- something does happen something
3: really like slows down in the brain but no this my problem or do you
2: think they pipe strange air in <laughs> now it just sound paranoid well
3: there's just not like, enough to air. quiet
2: people down a bit right like why ah. does everyone fall asleep
3: well that's cuz they're on drugs <laughs> no right many are <laughs> <laughs>
2: You know what? Let's take a short break. And we'll be right back to talk more about flight and airplanes and drugs. No, just kidding, everybody. It's not Friday yet. Um, it's Wednesday on Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Alison Bechtel made it. She made it to the studio. She's here. We're going to take a short break and be right back. You've got living writers. I'm T. Hetzel today. Allison Bechtel is here. I am. You are. I am not your father. (laughs) I don't know. What does Darth Vader say to Luke? I'm. I
3: something like that. I'm sorry. Those were our sad lightsaber (laughs) noise
2: attempts. I know. But that's. It's also. um, I mean, you don't get that everywhere, but you get that at WCBN. (laughs)
3: You do apparently, and, and
2: with Allison Bechtel, when you're in the house, right? <laughs> <laughs> you get some lightsaber sounds. That was a great song, and um, we might even have some more musical picks coming up um, from your girlfriend, Allison. Too is that is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, it might be. And I, so a shout out to
3: I. You her. guys asked me for songs, and I I'm just not a song person. So uh... is
2: that why you refused to answer the email? <laughs> I'm just.
3: I refuse to answer an email. No,
2: no, I'm just joking. Oh, no, sorry. no, no, it's okay. That's all right. But, but that's why we picked Let's Get Physical. <laughs> that's what you get. <laughs> but, and it, So it could be worse, right? Okay. So, because Olivia Newton-John is good at, at any time, at any season. Today on the table, we've got Alice and Bechtel's books, The Essential Dykes to Watch Out For, um, Fun Home, A Family Tragic Comic, and Are You My Mother, A Comic Drama. And Allison is in town, not only to see her own exhibit at the Institute of Humanities in the gallery, um, which will be running for a while, right, Allison? The I think so. Yeah. So could, for a month or two, it's open now, and then you can go for the next month or two at the Institute of Humanities Gallery on the ground level floor. And tomorrow at Penny Stamps, you'll be giving a talk. Yes. And um, and this, are you going to say some? Like, are you going to say probably um. Really exciting things tomorrow, right? Yeah.
3: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that, but it's it'll be a a picture lecture. Like I'll be showing slides because my work is all visual, so I have to show it to you while I talk
2: about it. Oh, that sounds that sounds great. Are you gonna? Start? I always
3: I say that because I hope it will make people sound more interested than if I was just gonna be talking. I know I find a
2: you know it's more interesting to have something to look at. <laughs> Well, also, that's sort of how, in a way, maybe, I don't mean to be presumptuous, but how your mind works, too, with creating and with making. Um, when, cause how when, how my mind works or how all of our minds work? How your mind works. And maybe, I mean, I I kind of feel in a similar way, but I would say maybe how your mind works because you're a cartoonist. Uh, yeah. Yeah graphic yeah i guess people have different
3: proportions of words and pictures in their brains uh some people have a lot of words it surprises me like it's almost all words but i have a lot of pictures too
2: yeah and is that part is that what you also when you key into memory which seems to is very important for fun home and are you my mother you were saying earlier too that you have a lot of objects like you keep artifacts i do
3: (laughs) so uh some people call that hoarding, but i it's not exactly hoarding. It's all very organized and tidy. And actually, um, I've been able to farm some of it out to uh, the Smith College archives because they're, like, are taking my papers, which to me feels like this great, like, amazing storage service.
2: <laughs> and amazing because people can use them for scholarship.
3: Yeah, I forget. I don't like to think about everyone looking at them,
2: but... Uh, they could if they wanted to, and they'd have to probably wear gloves or something. Oh yeah, right? little
3: white cotton gloves.
2: <laughs> have you ever done research like that too? With because I know for different books, like for Are You My Mother? I, I did you, a little
3: bit. I got to wear those white cotton gloves at the New York Public Library to look at one of Virginia Woolf's diaries. You? Actually, I had to. I couldn't even touch the diary. I couldn't even breathe on it. The um, the guy just said, "You can. I can show you two different pages." So two pages. Yeah,
2: which two did you choose? Because you must have had,
3: you know, she had like a billion pages of. I can't even remember which ones I saw, but it was just exciting. And what? Yeah, why? I mean, I would be thrilled. Well, you know, I was writing. In, in this book, are you my mother? It's a memoir about my mother, but it's also a book about writing about how I learned to be a writer from my mother, and as you said, Virginia Woolf is a character in it. I can't quite remember now. God, it's hard to talk about books that, you know, uh, do you want to... Uh, I can't look. If I look at it, I'll just get confused. But thank you for offering that. Um, she, Virginia Woolf and her work figured into my story. I mean, she's, a you know, obviously a, a great pioneering woman writer and... Uh, I guess what I was interested in was the way that she took the stuff of her life, her autobiographical material, and made it into her fiction. And I know you're not supposed to really think like that. You're not not supposed to wonder what really happened. Uh You know, how much of this is based on her actual life. But I always wonder that no matter what I'm reading. And it's just a a sort of question that preoccupies me. And, I, you know, I've, I've tried to just dispense with fiction you know I stopped writing this comic strip about made-up characters and now I just write about my real life
2: Um, and so it is a shift so it isn't like you are also still creating the panels no I'm not I I stopped doing that yeah it is and but it and you feel like it's I mean you could start again at any time probably but would it maybe even be a different group of characters maybe or or is it more that you actually have this sense no i
3: feel like i i couldn't it's novel. very hard for me to think about making something up and even when i look back at this comic strip i wrote a, i wrote a comic strip for 25 years about you know a whole rich complicated little world of characters but uh i think that was just like like I said, a, a crypto autobiography—a way to write about myself when I wasn't really able to write about myself. Uh, oh, I'm just being all kind of highfalutin oh, and no, stuff. No. But I, I, do think that <laughs> I feel. I'm glad. I just feel interested in the truth and what and what really happened. And, you know, especially with. Wait, I want to get back to Virginia Woolf. Okay, but not yet. Wait, now we're going off in three different directions. But see, this is the thing that if I were writing, if I were drawing this conversation, we could do that. Because in comics, you can talk about several things at once and somehow keep it going. So you can in
2: Living Writers too. I promise. (laughs) We'll get back. We'll find our way back and around. Okay, good. Well, what I wanted to say was... uh, So
3: starting in around 1999, 2000, I began writing a memoir about my real life. This book, Fun Home, which ended up being uh the, the thing that's going to broadway in a play now insanely um it's a story about my my father who it's a it's about my relationship with my father and about this particular period of a few months when i was in college and i was coming out and I re- in this very condensed little period of time i realized i was a lesbian i got up the nerve to tell my parents you know this this big thing. And when I did, I found out from my parents that my father was gay or bisexual, or probably he didn't think of himself in either of those categories, but he certainly had relationships with men and and some of his high school students, male high school students. So that blew me away. And then very shortly after that, my father died in a... Um, what and a car accident that was pretty clearly intentional and my father jumped in front of a truck so you know that was an incredibly traumatic cluster of events you know this you know i thought i was like you know growing up i was i was coming out i was becoming an adult you know oh i i realized this is what's Going on with me, I'm I'm a lesbian. Everything makes sense, and then all of a sudden, to have this larger story of my of my my parents um, just sort of eclipse everything, and this and this terribly painful loss that was in some ways secret, like no one knew it was a suicide.
2: Nobody knew. You, you capture that in the, the the panels where people are coming to the like the the funeral and in saying the things. That you would say, like where you your your family is starting, your immediate family is starting to know that it isn't what it appears like on the surface. Yeah. With the accident.
3: Yeah. So, um, not only did this traumatic thing happen, but this sort of erasure of it or this stifling of it happened, and which which really made it almost impossible to grieve my father. You know, it's like, it was so covered up and layered over with all these things that felt to me like lies. So I, I knew even like very shortly after his death that it was a story that I, I wanted to tell, but I, I couldn't imagine how I would ever do that, how I would reveal these huge family secrets. My mother didn't tell anyone that that he was gay. How could I do that to my mother? How could I reveal that? Mm -hmm. Um, and people, you know, didn't know he'd killed himself either. So I I basically waited 20 years. <laughs> At that point, somehow, I felt like those those things weren't quite as taboo as they once had been. You know, in 1980, when my father died, I couldn't say them. But in 2000, I could start to think about telling them. It wasn't such a stigma about being gay or about suicide, you know. So, I, I, I started to tell the story because it was
2: a story that wasn't going away. It was yeah, something. It, wasn't. it was just
3: insisting was... that I tell it. I know that sounds kind of like presumptuous too, but it it I did. Don't, don't say that.
2: Well, that's how stories are. Like what if they need to be? Yeah. So
3: I think I think that's true, and that's I guess my my worry. My fear is that it's my only story, (laughs) you know, and that I'll never be able to tell another one or a more interesting one.
2: Isn't that tragic? Well, that seems to be right in your (laughs) wheelhouse, doesn't it? Yeah. So I think that that's not the case. And you're working, you said you're working on like the, with the graphic novel and this one still like in that form. And this, are you my mother? It sounded like it also took years the process, and like, like you were almost resisting. What was at the core of this, this book, while you were working in it for years? Yeah, yeah, I had a hard time with that book. Let's take a short break, <laughs> just so that just so that now you can be like, well, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> no, no, hopefully not, because we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. We've got a song. Let's see what it is. Stephanie's going to play it. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel today. Alison Bechtel is here. We'll be right back.
4: I am the very model of a modern major general. I have information, vegetable, animal, and mineral. I know the kings of England and Dakota fights historical from Marathon to Waterloo in order categorical. I am very well acquainted to with matters mathematical. I understand equations both the simple and quadratical. About polynomial theorem, I am teeming with a lot of news. Ooh. <laughs> ah, with many cheerful facts about the square of the hypotenuse. I am very good at integral and differential calculus. I know the scientific names of beings and in In short, in matters vegetable, animal, and mineral. I am the very model of a modern major general. <laughs> I know our mythic history, King Arthur's and Sicaradox. Answer hard acrostics have a pretty taste for paradox. Quoting all the crimes of Helicabolus in Koenig's I can floor peculiarities parabolus. I can tell and uttered Raphael some Derrida's and Sophonis and other cooking chorus from the frogs of Aristophanes and I can hum a fugue of which you've heard the music's dinner for. Ooh, dinner for, dinner for. Ha, <laughs> ha. And whistle all the airs from that infernal nonsense pinafore. And
1: whistle
4: all
1: the airs from that infernal nonsense
4: pinafore. Then I can write a washing villain Babylonic uniform and tell you every detail of Caractacus' uniform. In short, in matters vegetable, animal, and mineral, I am the very model of a modern major general. In fact, when I know what is meant by mammalin and ravelin. When I can tell at sight a mouse, a rifle from a javelin, when such a phase of sorties and surprises I'm more wary at, and when I know precisely what is meant by commissariat, when I have learned that progress has been made in modern gunnery, when I know more of tactics than a novice in a nunnery, in short, I have a smattering of elemental strategy. Ooh, strategy? Strategy, let it be. Ah, I have it. You'll say a better Major General and never at you <laughs> My military knowledge, though I am plucky and adventurous, has only been but down to the beginning of the century, but still it matters vegetable, animal and mineral. I am the very model of a modern major general.
2: Say that three times fast. You've got living writers, I'm T Hetzel today. Alison Bechtel is here. Allison, um, Alison, thanks for picking that song.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, that's like that's what's on my you know, the jukebox in my head. Do you wake up to it
2: or is it sort
3: of (laughs) I do lately I've been singing that song a lot I just love Gilbert and Sullivan
2: and it's very sort of um, it's rousing isn't it it's rousing and the rhymes are hysterical and brilliant if you listen to them. And, and quick, you have to have sort of a nimble tongue or so yes. to kind of get through it. I feel like I sense a theme because we've had like the let's get physical Olivia Newton-John and then sort of the, the disco Star Wars where it's sort of everything's been sort of this energy, like this ball of energy. Yeah. No,
3: so now we're going to change the pace and come down.
2: <laughs> because of a hot. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it's necessary, right? Yes. Okay. So hard book to write are you my mother the process of it were you starting to write it you were reading a lot of psychoanalysis right you were
3: yeah i you know so i I finished the book about my father and i had to think of something else something else to do like what was i gonna write now and i it the the hard part about this book was that i i didn't couldn't admit or couldn't face the fact that I was going to write a memoir about my mother. I I env- envisioned that this book was about everything, in the kitchen sink except my mother. But because well, uh, your mother
2: is is still alive,
3: well, she's she's not diff- now, but she was. So um, I'm sorry. Thank you. So that was really scary uh, to to write about my relationship with my mother when I knew she was going to see the book. Not that I, I mean, I have a you know, I had a pretty good relationship with my mother in many ways. It had its difficulties, but to write an honest memoir felt very daunting.
2: And your mom had been the writer of the house, in a way.
3: Kind of, yeah. yeah. She definitely wanted to be a writer when she was younger. She taught English. She w- Once she retired from teaching high school, she began writing again, writing poetry, writing a column for the local newspaper. Um, so she... She was a writer. Uh oh God, it's it's uncomfortable even to talk about that book. I don't I don't know.
2: It's like I haven't Well it it's maybe structurally it was it seems I mean obviously linked. Um but it's interesting because one is a family tragic comic and one is a comic drama and I almost feel like and maybe you're just like T you're looking too too much into that small phrase after a colon but it seems like it's different like the way it the book is well we've got that wonderful virginia wolf quote that leads it off for nothing was simply one thing
3: yeah from to the lighthouse
2: could be i guess that shows us that it's going to be something that there's so many threads within <laughs> I guess
3: this so. i think th- i think the problem is there's a little there's one or two or maybe three too many threads in that book uh, and if i took those out it might be a better book uh but i somehow couldn't i wanted it to do everything you know you want to always don't you always want to just do a book that is about everything so sometimes it's better to leave one or two things out for the sake of coherence and i i don't know i i don't i just i don't have a lot of perspective on this book yet it's funny when you write stuff and uh i just heard uh Tony Morrison talking about oh never mind, I can't remember, but it's weird to look back at your own work and you know, you never have a sense of it in the way that another person reading it as a as a book as just a book would have because it's always more than a book or certainly if it's if it's memoir, it feels like it's more than a book well, like I can let go of this your life, yeah, right.
2: What, what was it like when you, so, so for in, in the strips Dikes to Watch Out For, um, there were things that you were thinking about at the time, even like, like even political things, news things of the moment of those strips. But when you, when you moved to the, the idea of, um, writing and creating fun home, you actually were, you were a visible character in the book, you were drawing you and suddenly you were in the frame. Yeah. In a way that you may have been like, (laughs) but in a very like in a covered way before in the, the strip series. Right. But so what's it like when you're actually, you're a character and you're a drawn character. It's not something that's through your eyes. It's not like you're writing through your perspective. It's like you're, there's a shape that's within a panel.
3: Well that's a funny thing about drawing comics is that you know, if I were if I were writing, I would be I could write in in the a first person voice or the third person voice or a second person voice. But in comics, even though I'm I am essentially writing in the first person, you're seeing it from a third person perspective. You know, you see my character. But you're inside my head so it's weird it's a kind of weird thing about uh, a you know a graphic autobiography uh,
2: maybe it's not that weird <laughs> no it is I mean I think that's why I'm asking you because what because for a while different. you
3: know I thought about uh you know maybe I should just draw this all like from first person shooter like let's right. see what I see and, like your GoPro yeah, or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but of course you can't do that that I mean, some people have done that experimentally and it has, you know, a powerful effect, but I don't think you could sustain a whole
2: book from first-person perspective. Although we don't know what you're working on right now. But so it was, so, but it is interesting. So, huh, do you think you'll be in the next book then?
3: Yes, I so I haven't gotten over my, my need to write about my own real
2: life yet. And, and is this f- rooted to family or is this moving it into um, d- deep relate other... No, thinking? I'm
3: taking get, taking a break on the deep family mining of relationships thing because it was really hard and tiring and upset people. So I'm giving that a little rest. Uh, but I will come back to it. I think I I do want to write more family based stuff. But then the next piece is more light and uh silly, I hope. It's a book about exercise, my lifelong pursuit of exercise. I know. <laughs> is it a, is it going to be a, a
2: flip book too? Yes, it, it is. is. <laughs> How did you know? Are you pulling my leg? No, I'm
3: not. I'm going to have like little <laughs> tiny figures in the margins doing exercises.
2: I can't wait. When is that? Are you going to be showing slides of that? Tomorrow? No, I don't have. I'm just in
3: the very early stages of that. And I probably shouldn't talk about oh, okay. it at all. Right, right. That is, it's kind of No, that... I gave away my flip book idea. No, well...
2: <laughs> don't be <laughs> angry. you think of that? Well, because we were talking about it and composing with images in class as like an option. Like someone could do that as their final project. No. Too. <laughs>
3: it, well, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's fun to... I've just been playing around a little bit. I never did any kind of animation, but it's it's a very fun thing to work with to, f- to f- make a character move.
2: And it's and it's this dynamic quality, which is also present in the panels when you're seeing the motion and how the characters are moving. But this is a really they're literally moving. Li- yeah, yeah. And then how do you use that as an element, like to deepen what else is happening? in the story or is it something that's a separate story i mean don't answer well, any it's just a tiny think,
3: you know it's not my actual story is not going to be a flip book it's just going to be a little marginal of like
2: something thing that's happening that's great ah well um and it's light so does that mean it that informs hope- like does it change how the your process because are you i and maybe this isn't true but part of the process that i i saw in a video when you were talking about it was you use photography as yes. as a layer, and you work online on a drawing program.
3: Yes. <laughs> um, no, that process is the same. I, I I'm in the writing stage of it now, which it I say writing, but it's it's really a kind of drawing. I, I write in a drawing program, so it looks like I'm typing on the computer, and I am, but I'm doing it in a two dimensional page. I'm not just working on a word processing document I'm actually making little squares and word balloons and I'm not drawing but I am imagining the images that I'm that will be there so
2: you'll have like some word bubbles that have text in them and then you have maybe guiding narrative too and then maybe text that has some sort of like idea of what the the image might be precisely and how how did you find this like how did you start working like this like this method, because um, you probably started in sketchbooks. Yeah, when right? I
3: began, there was no computers, there was no scanners, there was no Photoshop. For, you know, for years I just drew stuff with pencils <laughs> and <laughs> pens and tracing paper. It's still I, a technology. <laughs> yes, it is, and I still I still do all that actual manual drawing stuff. But first, I I do my sketch on the computer just because it's so fluent, so flexible. You can. You know, you can try stuff and make mistakes and you don't have to erase or throw the paper out. Um, And I, I, I guess I evolved that system very slowly as, you know, as the technology became available, as Photoshop was, you know, first I got a scanner and then I had to learn Photoshop to get my art into the computer. And then I learned about Illustrator and how you could, you know get get text under the computer too. So, uh I just evolved my own little method of composing on the on screen.
2: And so it was something that it's not as if um you cuz you didn't go and in the introduction that you you created for Dykes to watch out for the essential edition, um you say you the streets were your MFA program. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I never uh went to grad school. Um
3: yeah, no. I learned cartooning, just picking it up as I went along.
2: Totally, and 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 it started with the pencil and the doodling, and then it went to the scanner, and the yes. programs. Yes. I I love. Okay, well, let's take a short break. I love that you also use the element of photography and and to capture movement too. It's interesting, and you remove it, but it's yeah. there okay. at well, some point. Let's take a short break, and then we'll come back. Yeah. Good. All right. We'll be right back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Allison Bechtel is here. You can catch Allison tomorrow at the Michigan Theater, um, 5 p.m., for Drawing Lessons, the Comics of Everyday Life, Penny Stamps Talk. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You've got living writers. I'm T Hetzel. Today, Alison Bechtel is here. We've got fun home on the table and we might have a song coming up from the show that's going to soon be out on Broadway. Um, we'll see. We'll see what we can wrestle up if it's out there. <laughs> We're going to try to get it. Uh, we also have Are You My Mother, a comic drama on the table. Um, and the essential dykes to watch out for um, is also it's here. <laughs> it's here, all that all this work of yours. And we were we were talking about your process. Um
3: Oh yeah, you were talking about um photography. Yeah. You know, that's something too that evolved as the technology evolved. Um before there was digital photography, there was no real practical way to take a lot of reference photos. I had a Polaroid and I would if I had to draw a tricky, complicated pose, I would use the Polaroid. But I did that very sparingly because it was so expensive. It, it was like so a ex- dollar ex- shot. Yes. <laughs> it's it's <probably>. precious. Yeah. <laughs> and I have now this whole big file of, you know, different hand positions or people on the phone or, you know, people doing stuff in my little picture file.
2: That's kind of amazing. So instead of one of those wooden wooden men or so Yeah, actually had these polaroids <laughs> the wooden as men well were never
3: really very helpful
2: i had one of those too you could make a photo book out of those allison
3: well as it as it turns out i mean people do there are there there's a whole business of making photo books of people doing poses or there used to be because now you don't need them because you make your <laughs> own exactly what you want with your digital camera for zero money um so that changed my process a lot uh and from using pose, using photos very sparingly, I now use them constantly for everything, which is perhaps a bit of a problem. And I'm trying to wean myself off of that and and go back to more a little bit more trusting my own drawing instincts than always looking at a you know a reference. But I do I do you know stage a lot of scenes. I'll put costumes on and act out. Uh, all the stuff I am drawing—that
2: would be a great book. It's interesting. It reminds me in some like sideways way of like Cindy Sherman's work, where it's she, kind of you it, know the especially yeah. the film stills in a way like there is like well not that you are trying to make a film still, but you are in everything and you are
3: yeah. yeah yeah it's like entering into the story in this weird way. And for me, it's part of it's it's almost in a way it's just a simple physical. Exercise. It's a drawing aid, but it also it helps me to get over some that difficult. Um, you know, it's so hard to tell a story, to get anything down on paper. Doing the poses sort of helps push me over that brink. Helps push me through the plane of the paper into the world of the story in a way that it just. You know, it's just like a, a ritual, and it and it works, and so
2: I do it. Well, it seems like it would feed, it, it would hook right into the imagination, like the imagined, by using even physical, like the muscles. Yeah,
3: uh, yeah. I mean, it, I think it it creates some empathy with the characters I'm writing about. Even oddly, if the character happens to be myself. But you know, sometimes I would find myself posing as my mother and father alternately while they were having an argument. And uh, that was kind of mind blowing, you know, to have to like embody them to physically impersonate one of my parents. And I, you know, I would do at the, at the end of Dykes to Watch Out For, I used that same technique with, with those characters too. And that, that was really fun. I, you know, be acting out all these different characters.
2: And almost frame by frame?
3: Yeah, totally frame by frame. Yeah. yeah.
2: So the process, can you yeah, walk can, us I, through that? Well,
3: I mean, I go back and I look at my iPhoto library <laughs> and only a small, <laughs> must be impressive. a small fraction of it is my real life. Most of it is my fake life of me posing for these stories. So that's the next book, my fake life. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a pretty boring book, I think.
2: I don't know. I mean, think about some of them, like Ed Roucher's like twenty six gasoline gasoline stations, thirty four apartment buildings. You know, like it's you don't know what's. In <laughs> <laughs> any way, you never know, you never know. Um, and so, with the with the photos, though, Allison, are you um, like putting them to scale in the panel, or are you? What are you do? Are you using them just to look at? I just or look at them. Some...
3: I actually, you know, I, I don't even print them out. I just look at the viewfinder of my camera. And just that tiny little, you know, one-inch square image is enough for uh-huh. me to, to work from, to see how a, the figure is standing. Or, you know, I can zoom in to see how the fingers are holding the book. Like, yeah. that's all you need. I don't need to print the photos out.
2: And so just using it in that way. Yeah. And then the photos sort of, they just... They pile up and <laughs> <laughs> digitally pile up. Yes. Yeah. Well, okay. So what about this, um, this idea of authorial agency? Like one of these, like I feel like one of the reasons for I writing these memoirs and, the, and putting yourself in it and maybe especially as a woman. And I think this ties back to Virginia Woolf.
3: Good job. We got back to her. <laughs> Told you. <ya. laughs>
2: I'm impressed. But 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 what do you what do you believe about that, Allison? Because it is Virginia Woolf is a touchstone, and it is this this agency, and maybe waiting 20 years to tell the story.
3: Well, yes. I I realized as I was struggling with this material about my mother or whatever it was going to be, um, that a lot of it was just about. What it what it takes to be an author to have the courage to say I am on the page to have that printed uh, not just she was or he was but I am it's it's my story um, and it was it was just, it just took a lot for me to be able to do, to do that in a way I I did do that with the book about my father I told. A story that sort of went against the laws of my family. I, I revealed secrets. Um, and I, I did it in what felt like a pretty, uh, I don't know if honorable is the right word, but an ethical way with my mother, like she was on board with it as much as she could be. Um, but then something was still not I still had something in my system that I had had to do, and I realized that I, I this book about my mother was becoming a book about writing the book about my father and the transformation, the psychic transformation that I had undergone in that process. That partly enabled me to write the book about my father, uh, and I mean, partly that's huge, isn't it? The psychic transformation. Well, it, that- it felt huge, uh, but also it's invisible. You know, it's inside. It's it's something that is psychological and so that's why this book is so strange the book about my mother it's there's no there's not a lot of dramatic action it's a, there's a lot of psychic action and i wanted to find a way to make that interesting or to sh- you know to show how we can make psychic progress how we can grow how we can heal uh, why therapy works. I mean, I, I, you know, therapy totally saved my life, and I wanted to show, I wanted to figure out why. Like, why, did, why does talking to some woman in a room make me feel so much better? And so the book became also about
2: psychoanalysis and how it works. And imagine, I mean, that's quite, that's a big thing, putting it words and pictures. So having the account. Be communicated using not just verbal language, but pictures for that immediacy.
3: Yeah, I don't know. I still don't know how well it worked, but um, it was a it was a good effort. And perhaps I'll make a, a better one later.
2: I, and these are lovely artifacts and stories thank already. You.
3: Thank you. Alison
2: Bechtel, thank you. Thanks for being here today.
3: You're very welcome. Thanks for this great conversation. Anytime.
2: Anytime. Anytime. Um, so tomorrow, Allison Bechtel will be at the University of Michigan, or rather, Michigan Theater for Penny Stamps Talk at 5 p.m. You've been listening to Living Writers. Thanks again to Stephanie. Allison Bechtel. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time. Thanks.
5: You didn't notice her at first, but I saw her the moment she walked in. She was a delivery woman. She came in with a handcart full of packages. She was an old school butch. Someone just came in the door Like no one I ever saw before I feel... I feel... I don't know where you came from I wish I did I feel so dumb I feel... Your swagger you're bearing and the just right clothes You're wearing your short hair And your dungarees And your lace-up boots And your keys oh-
6: All right, hello and welcome to the daily sports report. You're listening to the daily sports bro on 88.3 WCBN FM in Arbor. Uh, I'm Morris Fabri, I'll be your host for today. On the other side of the glass, you have Patrick Mullen, Kevin Klein, and uh, Kevin Yang. Is that right? Oh, do I got the wrong uh, name? Jeff Chan. Jeff Chan's Jeff over Chan. here. I'm Jeff sorry. Chan. We got we got a couple newbies here, and uh, I don't think I've ever been on a show with them before, but. Well, let's see how he does today. So first, I'm going to open by addressing the topic that has the sports world on fire today, and that is uh, the, the, I guess, inflate gate, whatever you want to call it. The Patriots have been accused and even found evidence of under-inflating footballs or deflating footballs in their are 45-7 45-7 to seven win over the Colts, but if you want a take on that, you can just look on Twitter or on the internet, because every single possible angle conceivable is out there, and I think that it's not that big of a deal. Kevin, what do you have to say about it? Definitely been a little overblown. All right, well, after that fun, <laughs> I think we are going to proceed to talk about something more near and dear to the hearts of our listeners, and that would be yesterday's Michigan basketball game against Rutgers, Michigan traveled to New York to take on the Scarlet Knights and uh, you know, it got a little dicey there for a minute. They were playing lineups with walk-ons, Andrew Dockich, Sean Lonergan got some PT. Yeah, Sean. Uh, But in the end they pulled out a 54-50 win in the same place where Wisconsin lost not too long ago.